0: Onyella Ungresson is co-founder of EDGE Certification, the leading global assessment methodology and business certification standard for gender equality. EDGE Certification measures where organizations stand in terms of gender balance across their pipeline, pay equity, and effectiveness of policies and practices to ensure equitable career flows as well as the inclusiveness of their culture. EDGE certification has been designed to help companies not only to create an optimal workplace for women and men, but also to benefit from it. EDGE stands for economic dividends for gender equality and is distinguished by its rigor and focus on business impact. Their consumer base consists of 200 large organizations in 50 countries across five continents, representing 30
1: different industries. Aniele Ongoreshin, welcome to The Creative Process. Thank you very much, So just tell us a little bit about the creation of the EDGE certification and how you really connect the dots to improve workplace culture and accelerate progress towards gender equity and diversity.
2: I co-funded what has become EDGE for gender and intersectional equity back in 2009. And at that time, workplace gender and intersectional equity were still very much seen As a societal issue rather than a business issue. Organizations were asking themselves if it stays within their role to tackle these issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace, or if they are the mere recipients of what is going on in societies and solo the beliefs around men and women should be doing at work and at home. So at that time, we wanted to contribute to this transition from making gender and intersectional equity a business issue and helping organizations to see that how they manage their talent and how they are able to attract, develop, motivate, and retain diverse talent, it's a key component of their sustainable business success. So Our reasoning back then was to say, in order to make this a business issue, we need to come up with a solution that will help organizations tackle this in the same ways in which they tackle their business-critical goals. So what organizations do, what are the signs that they display in pursuing business-critical goals? For example, when an organization pursues its sales goals, what do they do? Well, first of all, they have the full commitment of their top leadership team. They have very clear targets. They have clear ways to measure how they are moving towards those targets. There are resources allocated to meeting those targets and there is accountability and transparency in how the organization is doing against those targets. So these are the main behaviors that we thought are critical to incorporate in any solution that will help organizations tackle diversity, equity, and inclusion, or gender and intersectional lens. And this is what was embedded in Edge and edge certification as solutions.
1: So really edge helps turn insights into action, helps enable organizations to understand what's holding them back as well, while providing a roadmap, if I understand, to achieve better performance and more inclusive workplaces. That's right, Mia.
2: So I think that one of the things that is so important when it comes to these issues, which we kind of think that they are very difficult to measure, right? We think that they are very subjective, that they are not more than a science. But of course, there is a very clear way in which we can measure where an organization stands. So it is really providing a step-by-step approach in saying, okay, let's measure what is the reality of where we stand. How do we compare to our peers? How do we compare to what performance and a global standard looks like in this area? What are the gaps? And what is a concrete action plan to close those gaps? So it's really this step-by-step approach to measure, accelerate, and finally getting the credit for this work through an independent certification.
1: Right. And there's workshops, there's a variety of different levels. And if you could help us understand that, that there's the three levels of certification and it's also renewed. It's not something you get the certification and it's for life because it's an ongoing process. And also if a company maybe doesn't quite meet those things. Do you help them on that road? Do you provide tools that would help them align, be uh, certified? You were you absolutely right. Yeah,
2: it, it's a journey, right, that companies are on. And that's where Edge has different levels from where companies can start and to which companies can continue their journey. And And just to step back for a second to understand why it is necessary to see that as a process and as a journey. In 2022, there are more chief executive officers in the world named Michael and James than women who lead S&P 500 companies. So this is the state of the world today. That is the reality of many organizations that are starting the journey of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in order to meet different organizations where they are, Edge has a tiered system where the first entry level recognizes the commitment of the organization to be structured, systematic, and independently verified where they stand and how they progress in gender and intersectional equity. Second level showcases progress. So, companies on the journey, because of going through all that part of gaining the analytical styles, doing the benchmark, defining and implementing an action plan, they have started to reach a certain number of critical milestones and then they progress to the second stage, which is Edge Move. And finally, the third level, Celebrate Success. These are organizations which unfortunately still remain very few, but The group is growing of organizations that have managed to foster gender-inclusive, equitable workplace and manage diversity, equity, inclusion holistically. So moving from commitment to progress and to success, these are the three critical steps in the edge journey.
1: Yes. And I imagine that some of these companies or organizations may perform better in in different areas that since EdgeCert was formed in its inception, focusing a lot on gender equity and have since expanded to these different areas of diversity. So what you were describing is sort of the materiality assessment and you're helping organizations determine which of those ESGs matters most to them and not just to their employees and corporate culture, but to stakeholders and to everyone. That's right, Mia, because when you look at
2: it, and when you look at the broader ESG spectrum, I think that we have come a long way in understanding what stands behind the it, how to measure it, what the standards are, so bring visibility and credibility to progress on E. We have just started to uh, be on the same journey when it comes to the S and the G. And behind the S, the social element, definitely diversity, equity, and inclusion is that one element solidly sitting behind the test. Because how a company performs in managing its diverse talent, it is a very accurate barometer of the corporate culture. So that's why this is very important indeed.
1: And it's really become part of the, you know, just even looking back in the last few years, last time we spoke, you were discussing NASDAQ and disclosing the diversity of its boards. Everything is becoming very transparent and labeling funds as diverse. So shareholders can really also be influential in this process.
2: Absolutely. And I think that is a very important evolution when stakeholders become shareholders, media, activists. The civil society starts to take an interest and to look very closely on what companies are doing and how they are performing on these elements, because this external view creates accountability. So one thing, is of course, transparency, but very famously for a very long time, the tech industry was publishing their numbers year after year. And the numbers stayed very much the same. And they were throwing their hands in the air and saying, well, okay, we are measuring, we are publishing the numbers. Numbers look bad. There is nothing we can do about it. So there was transparency, but there was not the accountability. Uh, yes, there is something we can do about those numbers. It might take longer. The progress might not be as fast as we can do, but there is something we can do about it. And here is the place where we would start. But when the stakeholders start to have a voice, then that accountability is created for organizations to move from intention to action and from action to impact.
1: Exactly. And I think a recent study of over 800 European firms are investigating whether sustainability disclosure and female representation on boards affect firm value. And it's conclusive that it does. And, you know, on on so many other levels, I mean, we do a number of interviews with environmental organizations and environmental groups and businesses as well. And having women in those leadership roles, but also leadership roles throughout, not just always at the top, but that affects the whole corporate culture is really so important Uh, on this point of intersectional gender equity, I believe among the many companies, because you really have clients from the leading global multinational companies. I believe L'Oreal was the first company who was certified by you for the intersectional gender equity. Yes, that's right.
2: And Mia, to what you said, I think that what is really important on this journey is to understand when we talk about gender and intersectional equity, and yes, gender is that element that is the most universal across different geographies. So for organizations that are present across many different countries and many different continents, there will be one backbone, which will be gender, the binary decision, To which they will be adding other aspects of the broader diversity spectrum based on the specificities of the countries of operation. So, for example, you mentioned L'Oreal, the US, they look at the intersection between gender and race and ethnicity. We have organizations in Europe that are very often looking at the intersection between age and gender and sexual orientation, Southeast Asia, sexual orientation, working with the disability are definitely emerging topics. So allowing ourselves this flexibility in saying we have a solid backbone, which is the one that can be legally measured and tracked across all geographies, which is the gender binary. And on this, we will be building this intersectional view with other Beautiful characteristics that compose us as individuals. Having this flexibility allowed organizations such as REAL, but then also some other institutions that we are working with within the UN system or international financing institutions such as the IMF or the World Bank to add different intersectional lenses to their gender binary approach.
1: Exactly. I was just interested to see you mentioned UN organizations. And so UNICEF has been edge certed And I thought, well, if we always look up to all the UN organizations. I thought well, they wouldn't need it. That would be almost baked in. But there's always, no matter what the organization is, that room for improvement and just for taking stock. And so what was some of the focus in terms of UNICEF?
2: Yeah, you are making such an interesting point. So, you know, organizations like UNICEF have been embedding these values of diversity, equity, and inclusion for a very long time. So as you might have seen, UNICEF was certified at the second level of certification, a move that already showcases very strong progress. But what is really important is exactly, as you mentioned before, with this increased scrutiny of external stakeholders, it's not enough to get the job done. But it's also important to make that work visible and credible. So for some of the organizations, such as yourself, that have been on the path for a very long time, this element of getting some sort of a third-party view and objective review of where they stand and being able to prove to their multiple stakeholders that their progress is genuine, it's also a very important part of the solution.
1: And so that's an organization that we all admire or L'Oreal on the corporate side. Just to list, because I believe you certified over 200 large organizations and companies in about 37 countries, five continents. So it's quite a lot, over 24 different industries. So just to list the ones that I know of, and you can fill me in on others. You mentioned some of those leading banks, so European Central Bank, IKEA, Philips, European Investment Bank, Hermes, Lyon's. AXA, and it goes on, these trusted companies trusting a CERT to really take stock. And you must have such a diverse body of knowledge. I mean, your focus is on gender and diversity. So you're an economist. So you're learning also about these industries. It must be so illuminating to see behind the scenes. You spoke about sensitivities because you said that gender can be measured and some other orientation might not always be disclosed or it might be something. So how do you deal with those elements? Yes.
2: Absolutely. And I think, to to your point, I think you are absolutely right. I think that what is fascinating to see across industries and across geographies is how this diversity of talent contributes to the value creation in organizations, whether they are for proxy or not for proxy, and how it creates the value or to the value creation process also by improving the employer value proposition, by enhancing the brand of the organization beyond the very straightforward talent management approaches. We all know organizations are made by people and the quality and the depth of the talent pool hits a very, very intimately related to the bottom line of the organizations. So to come back to what you have said, I think that what we are seeing is that when we work with organizations, we measure, so the framework, edges framework, measures where organizations stand in terms of representation, in terms of paid equity, in terms of effectiveness of policies and practices to ensure equitable career flows, and in terms of the inclusiveness of culture. And to measure representation, the equity and effectiveness of policies and practices and inclusiveness of the culture, we look at statistical data, at policies and practices that are in place in the organizations so or the organizational infrastructure, the organizational equity infrastructure, but also, very importantly, the employees' experience and their own voice. And while it is true that for some aspects of diversity, statistical data might not be available. So in some countries, for example, on sexual orientation or even on working with a disability status or on race and ethnicity, statistical data might not be available. But we still have the possibility to ask how employees across those different groups, experience workplace culture. So there was always a place to start by looking at these employees perceptions and experience of the workplace across these different characteristics and understand where they are similar and why, and where they are different and why.
1: Yes. And so tell me, as an economist who's also the CEO of before Edge of your own company and before founding it, we didn't really go into your journey of founding Edge. You've also formed this academic and scientific council. And as you're gathering this group of experts, what were you looking for? What was important to include these diversity of perspectives?
2: You know, Mia, when we started this back in 2009, that we had this idea of bringing objective measurement, we knew that we were looking for a universal standard. As you might have seen, Edge was launched at the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum here in Switzerland, in Davos. And then in speaking with the companies and the CEOs that were attending the World Economic Forum, they were telling us, we are global organizations. We are global brands. We have local specificities, but we need to have a consistent way to measure gender and later intersectional across all our geographies. And the first challenge that we had back then is to say, can we measure gender and intersectional equity consistently across geographies? And that was one of the first idea that prompted us to form this academic and scientific advisory council to say, where is the sweet spot of providing a consistent way to measure across different geographies, across countries with widely different public policies, across countries with extremely diverse cultures around gender roles. Where do we find the common denominator to respond to this need for consistency of this global organization? So when we formed this academic and scientific council, that was the first challenge that we gave ourselves with these phenomenal thinkers to say, how can we measure gender and then intersectional equity consistently across countries and across geographies? And once we have solved that issue, the second challenge was to say, okay, now we know how to measure it. Me. How does performance look like? How do we define What is good in this area? And then once we have answers in these two questions, how do we measure, how do we define a standard of performance? The third question was, how do we verify that organizations are in compliance with this standard? So that has been since 2009, the job of the Academics and Scientific Advisory Council, because we had a set of answers to these questions when we started, but of course the world is moving very fast and this topic is evolving. So these are questions that we ask ourselves on a very regular basis with our academic and scientific advisory council on one hand, but also with our community of companies and organizations that are certified so as to make sure Sure that. that the approach reflects the best science and the best practice in this
0: Later on in this episode, Aniyal awakes us with the very reality that our hierarchies, the structures that create the organizations of our human existence, fail us, but are continually being reproduced through generations, whether it is a fear of change or an intentional grip that those in power have on maintaining their positionality, our structures are holding us back. Institutions, patriarchies, they shape us as individuals then as individuals we make these social systems happen we all contribute to these systems we all participate in these systems that create hardened practices producing disproportionate consequences for different groups when Anayela talks she is viewing a world from a complex perspective she does not blame an individual boss for the problems of the world Her inflection in the episode has an appeal because with this certification process, large organizations can deviate from the path of least resistance, the way out of continually producing systems of oppression, even going beyond governmental standards by setting global standards that governments, individuals, and other organizations can follow. Yet, which issues are salient? Changes across geographies. Maybe it is wealth, maybe religion, ethnicity, or gender. When you travel across the globe, different groups of people have different problems based on the history of the region, its culture, its people. A universalized certification process that does not account for these differences would be naive. Edge changes with these geographies. It sees the invisible Muslim woman in India and the Black woman in the United States. It takes the effort to understand the dynamics and systems creating different patches of the world to ensure that it can uplift starting from the bottom and pulling every person up with them. As you can see with these differences across geographies, gender is socialized. No one is born a woman. We become woman. You can actually prove this social construction by looking at the definition or the idea of woman across temporal, spatial, and geographical lines. The expectations held for my grandmother are different than those held for me. Those of women in a religious family are different from my own. Those for women in different countries and different social and cultural practices are once again different from my own. Woman is therefore not a single category. Ask yourself, which woman are we talking about? The creation of Edge Plus An intersectional lens for organizations to use is an analytic which situates women, men, genderqueer people in relation to religion, caste, race, class, and nation. It seizes and captivates contextual dynamics of power. When organizations decide to take this complex look at themselves, they are saying to the world, gender has mattered, does matter, and will always matter. We can never stop talking about gender just as much as we have to always continue to change our understanding of what gender is and how it is contributing to our position locally, nationally, and globally.
1: It's very interesting because you are working within so many different countries as well. And I imagine it's not just a case of numbers. When you're measuring a culture and a performance, there's so many nuances then of language. And there must also be an element of self-measurement or those who are working every day in that workplace. So there's so many of these intuitive elements. And I don't know how you cross over different cultural sensitivities. Some may be more open to some conversations others might be more reticent to do a kind of reporting and accountancy. So how do you work with local partners to make sure the certification process is nuanced and adaptive to the different countries and cultures?
2: Yes. And I think that is indeed such an important element, as you mentioned, that countries look so very different. Also, not only, as I mentioned, in terms of public policies and cultures around roles, but also in terms of the availability of the talent pool and where men and women across their different characteristics are deciding to train themselves and which are the industries for which they self select. So it's extremely diverse world out there. One of the elements that helps us tackle that in the most effective way, is the voice of the employees themselves. And I have to tell you that when we started this journey, administering this employee survey. We are the ones that we are committing to the survey respondents that their responses will be anonymous and confidential. And there is a safe space for them to share with us how they experience within their current structure, within their current culture these issues. And very interestingly, we had a lot of pushback in the beginning from the organization saying this is Very subjective. (laughs) How can you rate us as an organization based on such a subjective element, which is perception? And our answer has always been this experience for as subjective as it is will have an influence into how engaged your employees will be. In their workplace and their engagement will affect their performance so it will hit your bottom line in a very direct way and it will also influence how they speak about your organization as an employer and that will definitely have an impact on your brand in many of the organizations that we work with the vast majority they run employee survey but they tend to be quite selective into who is involved in those surveys, it is our requirement for all the employees to be invited, those that work in warehouses, those that work in revolt and production, to be included in this exercise because their voice matters just as much as the voice of the executives of the companies matters.
1: Well, I really love that comprehensiveness. It's scientific, it's sociological, it's on so many levels that there's your background as an economist. It brings in all these elements. And so it's not simplistic. It's what we need is real nuance in this. I'll just say that we have, it's in a very informal kind of survey, 90% of our university team members are women. We found that young women were more open to learning about creativity from other people, more so we have more applicants who are women. Maybe we should balance that, but it's not something we have complete control over. Sydney wants to come in with some questions.
0: Hello, I just first... To kind of start off because we're talking about different regions in which Edge is certifying different companies. And I was wondering both how do you get into other regions where Edge isn't as prevalent within those organizations, and then also within your certification process. And I know there's the Edge and there's the Edge Plus. So do you encourage organizations to push towards Edge Plus, or and how do you do that process?
2: Thank you, Sydney. It's a very important mechanism, and we have the chance to work with large global organizations. So you have to think that when these organizations will start their edge journey, and it's generally the country of headquarter that makes the decision, they will take this globally across their most important operations. And because we work across very different industries, so for example, whenever we work in the consumer goods Southeast Asia will be presenting because the production funds will be there. Whenever we work within the IT industry, India will come up very high up in the countries of operation because their development teams are there. Financial services industry will have a prevalence in Western Europe and North America. So it is actually by engaging these large organizations, employ many, many different types of talents across many different jobs and across many geographies that we get to be present in these different countries around the globe. And to your question, yes, we, Edge Plus, it's a deepening of the scope of Edge, which is gender binary. So all the Edge organizations will look at the gender, and then to that, they will include additional lenses. And I have to say that you're absolutely right in saying that in some countries, and I know, Mia, that you are based in Paris, France, for example. When we go to France, France says, we cannot measure ethnicity. We cannot ask that question. And that it's such an interesting journey. With organizations to say, so what exactly stops you from asking employees to express their opinion and their experience through that lens? So that is the journey that we are going to every organizations to understand what is critical, what is relevant, and where they are comfortable to start with, because it's a journey.
0: And I really like the idea of a journey with improving on gender equity. So I was wondering what's Edge's journey in terms of setting those standards and within your own organization, what type of journey do you have for yourselves and your plans for improving your language and inclusivity? One thing I just personally noticed is I'm very interested in studying gender. And one of the main things I talk about within my classes is the idea of gender fluidity. So thinking beyond the binary. So I was wondering if Edge is thinking beyond the binary and trying to address those who may not identify with either man or woman in those two categories.
2: That's right, Sydney. So Edge Plus covers this aspect. So Edge will be covering the gender binary and then in Edge Plus, organizations will have the choice to add the different non-binary categories, different race and ethnicity, lets working with a disability, sexual orientation and nationality. So this would be the different elements. And I have to say that by default in the last two years, we have offered to all organizations to run the employee survey with the gender non-binary option. included. So almost by default, our approach has been at least for the survey part to always go with the non-binary option. Across different geographies, the survey respondents the opportunity to opt out, not to disclose if they don't feel comfortable to disclose, but the fact that laying out all the possibilities out there makes people more comfortable. And what we see that year after year, the percentage of the survey respondents that identify in different categories as opposed to being in prefer not to answer. So the percentage of those who feel comfortable increases. Why? Because we, in fact, of showing the openness to those categories legitimizes and creates the space for them to disclose who they are and different aspects of their identities.
0: And I guess on the top of, of identity, I was wondering, what about your identity draws you to this type of work? And is there something personal to you that makes you want to fight and create spaces where there's more gender equity, where things are more equitable, where there's more intersectionality being discussed and worked
2: upon? You know, when I started this journey, for me, what was really interesting. So I was at the time when this idea of edge came about, I was a commodities trader. And I always had a lot of fun and pleasure in my corporate careers. And I remember very well, I was approaching my 30s and my boss at that time, they very well with a lot of good intentions, came to me and she said, Okay, Aniela, what are we doing? Are we having babies or are we keeping you on a fast track that we put you on? And I looked at him and I was like, Mike, why are you asking me if I'm having babies or are you keeping you on a fast track? Do you think that me having babies would have an impact on the functioning of my brain? And I remember turning to one of my male traders and asking him, Is he asking you the same question? And he said, No, he's not. And I wish. He would. So it seemed to me that we are inheriting organizational structures and corporate structures that are no longer in line with the way in which we work in and live in this century, <laughs> whether we are talking about men and women across their different characteristics. So it's really this deep mismatch where nobody seems to win out of this, not even corporations themselves. But somehow the power of habit and the fear of changing the power and authority structures in our organizations is holding us back. So that was really my story. And that's why I started this journey
0: one of the sayings that I love is the personal is political and the political is personal. So off of that, how do you deal with partisanship within Edge and dealing with different governments? And I guess even within the US right now, the most recent debate, I guess, with gender equity is abortion and the right to have one or to not have one. And that's going on right now. How does EDGE intervene with all the political circumstances with each country? Do you attempt to intervene or take a stance? Because I guess, inherently, I understand your work to be very political in a lot of senses.
2: And Sydney, I think that the answer is very nuanced on the part of the world that we are talking about. Obviously, in Western Europe, governments are extremely progressive in enforcing gender equality, diversity, equity, and inclusion agendas to a certain number of very clear measurements. The government of Switzerland has been enforcing a law requiring organizations to go to a pay audit and it will depend on verification. The government of Spain is requiring companies to have a plan on how they will close the gap. There is a lot of regulation on ESG coming out of Europe. So of course Europe it's such a fertile ground for us to work with governments, either in some cases to inform their process on what would be the tools to implement their policies, and in some other cases, to get a certification to be recognized as one of those tools that will companies comply. So as to create a world where compliance and commitment go hand in hand, obviously, on the other side of the ocean, the situation is very different. The discussion is extremely polarized in the US. There are a certain number of things that can be done at the level of the, the local governments, at the level of the federal government, things are extremely complicated. But there are a certain number of interesting conversations. Like for example, very recently in California about the Pay Quality Act. So it is true that on the other side of the ocean, working with organizations seems to be the fastest way to progress. To give you an example, the companies that we, and the organizations that we work with in the United States, that does not have a paid paternity and paternity leave policy, we are working with them so as part of their work with ed certification, they are enforcing at least 16 weeks of paid paternity and maternity policy because that's a faster way to get people to benefit from something that they should be benefiting and to go to the government route. So that will be a, a very nuanced answer to, uh, because there is generally a very huge difference between Western Europe and the rest of the world right now. For once, Europe is beating the way in ESG-related matters, which is really very interesting.
0: It is interesting to see how different countries compare their standards and their laws and then the companies that are within them. And do you account for the impact that the organizations you work with, the impact they're making globally, for example, carbon emissions, how they're infecting the environment, you know, their labor standards, like other factors? Are you accounting that into it? Is it an internal process or is it a more holistic uh, approach to it? So our
2: approach is holistic in the area of gender and intersectional equity. That is our focus in the ESG. Because I really believe in very focused approaches, there are a lot of very valuable standards and certification on the each Our focus is on the S. And of course, by looking at just issues that relate to representation and pay equity, we are also doing the G and the governance aspect in these organizations, but we are a very focused solution around the S and it's so interesting that you are asking me this question because throughout our more than a decade long history, people were asking them questions, will you grandchild, or would you expand? And I think that strategy is sometimes as much about what you do <laughs> as, as what you choose not to do and not to focus on believe a big believer focused approaches. So for now, we feel that there is an area where we can effectively address the need because there are so many other backward solutions that address the needs in the other aspects of the ESG spectrum.
1: Yes, but I believe, and you published recently on your site, that inadvertently, more women in boardrooms and more equity throughout businesses does mean better climate policy. We've seen and we've spoken to many leaders in the environmental field, from Paula Pino, who's DG of Energy at the European Commission, or Kathleen Rogers at Earth Day, or Yanda that there is a strong environmental leadership from women and that will affect the corporate culture, even if it's not your primary aim.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah.
1: And I also feel that what you're doing beyond these large organizations and companies who are ready for this kind of accountancy and equity within the organizations, that there is a wider ripple effect. Maybe some companies might not be ready to take on the process of certification, but then the employees within those companies do then go out and form their own businesses that are like incubators. So the ripple effect must be even greater than those that you directly certify.
2: That's right. And, and I have to say that if there is a way, there is a way. Every organization that has some form of tracking of whom they employ are in a position to start their journey about measuring and drafting, improvement plans. One of the most interesting ripple effects that we have seen is on one hand, when we work with companies in the financial services industry that invest in companies and have investment portfolios, of those companies starting to take this rigor in the companies they invest in. And equally, when we work with companies that have very long supply chains, companies that hold long supply chains, embracing a standard and then inviting of the organization that are their suppliers to follow suit and embrace the same standards. So definitely there is a ripple effect that we see. And in some cases, we has seen also the opposite of some of these players within a portfolio or within a supply chain, considering that it's important to bring these solutions upstream.
1: Yes. And as you reflect on education and the challenges we face in the future and the kind of world we're leaving the next generation, what teachers or life lessons were important to you and helped make you the person you are today? And what would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? <laughs> wow, that's a
2: very big question. I think that one of the things that it's very important is not to let anybody decide or really need what you want to be, what you want to study, the kind of career that you want to pursue, how you want to identify yourself. Nobody, no institution, no culture, no society should limit you in your ability to do so. And I think that we live in a world of choices and choices are available and information to make choices that suit us is available and that will create more transparency and that will create more accountability. So staying alert, staying aware and staying informed and push back when something is not as we wish to be where it doesn't feel right.
1: Well, thank you, Aniela Angoreshan at edge for providing the information, expanding our choices, the important work you do to level the playing field and create fairer and more equitable workplaces, setting new standards for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process.
2: Thank you very much, Mia, and thank you, Sydney, for having me with you today.
0: The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk and Sydney Field with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Sydney Field. Digital media coordinators are Jacob A. Preisler and Megan Hagenbarth. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolus, and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.